text for this morning's sermon is taken from Colossians 3, verse 13. Paul is speaking about how we are to put on Christ. He tells us to bear, to be, bear, to be bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week I asked you the question, who do you think about when you're reminded of the Bible's command to forgive each other? Is there a particular person in your life that you struggle to forgive? Why is that? Are you in some kind of dispute with that person? And see or she wronged you? Have you been badly hurt or betrayed? You feel like that person has taken advantage of you? What emotions rise up in your heart when you think about that person? Is it pain and sorrow? Or anger, resentment, and bitterness? Or a desire for revenge? The call to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. It's a very difficult call. When people have sinned against us in a manner that hurts us deeply, we often don't want to forgive them. Forgiving feels like letting someone off the hook. We'd rather see them suffer like they made us suffer. And yet, deep in our hearts, we know that that's wrong. We understand that our sins against God are infinitely greater than any other person's sins against us. We know that God in Christ is a forgiving God. We know that the Lord Jesus bore the burden of God's wrath against the sins of all of humanity by suffering the accursed death on the cross. God's infinite grace and his abundant love are our main motivation for forgiving each other. Yet they're not the only reasons for doing so. What we need to understand, beloved, is that sin breaks down our relationships. Sin destroys our peace with God. It can rob us of the joy of faith. When our sins remain unconfessed, they can suck the life right out of us. They become a huge burden we carry with us each day. Sin also destroys our relationships with other people. Sometimes in our families, with our spouse or children, or with members of the wider family. Often in the church community, and with people we deal with at work, or in the broader community. The reason God commands us to repent of our sins and to forgive each other is so that we can be reconciled with him and with one another. It's so that we can enjoy sweet fellowship and live joyous lives. I preach you the good news of salvation under the following theme. 
Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. We'll consider the goal of forgiveness and the fruits of forgiveness. Last week, we spent some time discussing what forgiveness is and what it requires. We saw that to rightly understand what's required in forgiving each other, we need to examine how God forgives us. We learned that forgiveness is an act of grace that God freely grants his children. Our Heavenly Father does not require us to make payment for our sins. He doesn't demand his pound of flesh. He knows we cannot pay. Instead, God has compassion on us. He cancels the debts that we owe him. He restores us in a relationship with him. It's only in Jesus Christ that God forgives us. The Bible teaches that there is a penalty for sin. That penalty must be paid. Jesus Christ came into this world for that precise purpose. He came to suffer and die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. The result is that God removes our transgressions from us. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea. He sweeps away our offenses like a cloud. The point, beloved, is this. When God forgives, he wipes the slate clean. He no longer holds us accountable for our sins. In the same way, we are called to forgive each other. That means making a commitment to no longer hold that person's sin against them anymore. We promise not to dwell on the incident, not to bring it up or use it against that person, not to talk to others about it, not to let it stand between us anymore. Just like in our relationship with God, we're promising to wipe the slate clean, to go forward in life without anger or bitterness or desire for revenge. Last week, we also saw that forgiveness is not automatic. God will not forgive us if we live in unrepentant sin. And in the same way, for us to truly forgive someone who has hurt us deeply, that person needs to be repentant. In Luke 17, Jesus said, If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent... You must forgive him. In most situations, forgiveness requires repentance. To achieve that, we need to confront sin, to speak to those who have sinned against us about how they've hurt us. It's often a very difficult thing to do. When someone has hurt us deeply, when we've been bullied or assaulted or abused, we suffer a lot. We can be hurt in our innermost being. Thinking about that often makes us anxious and afraid. It causes incredible pain. Going to talk with the person who sinned against us often involves reliving all those emotions. When we've experienced trauma, it can cause anger, rage, resentment, and a desire for revenge. 
often we don't want to forgive the offender for the evil they've done to us. Humanly speaking, our incentive to rebuke the person who offended against us is low. And that's why this morning we're going to spend some time on the goal of forgiveness. Why should we forgive each other? Is there really something to be gained by confronting those who have hurted us, who have hurt us? Will that really help us in any way? Yes, we all know that God commands us to forgive each other as he has forgiven us. We know we should. We recognize that in Christ, God has forgiven us. But still, we often lack motivation to bring a complaint against those who have sinned against us. Simply put, why should we go through the hassle? If you carry unforgiven sin with you, it's a burden. To understand this, we again first look at our relationship with the Lord. We do this because our forgiveness of each other is modeled on God's forgiveness of our sins. In Psalm 32, David makes clear the consequences of carrying unforgiven sin. We don't know the precise context of this psalm. Many related to David's sins of committing adultery with Bathsheba and of murdering her husband Uriah. It could also relate to other sin in David's life. In this psalm, David writes, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like the heat of summer. Not dealing with sin in his life left David burdened. His bones wasted away. His strength was dried up. David felt old and tired, sapped of vitality and strength. He speaks of how God's hand was heavy upon him. There was no peace, no joy, no contentment in his life. Why? Because his sins alienated him from God. Something similar happens in our interpersonal relationships when one person sins against another and the matter is not addressed. There's a block in our relationship. Now, if the person who sinned against you is a stranger, you might be okay with that. But most of the sins committed against us happen at the hands of family members and friends, of brothers and sisters in the communion of saints. If such sin is not dealt with, it strains our relationships. People walk around each other. They avoid each other. That's a huge issue, beloved. In family life, we should be able to live together in love and unity. It's not good when parents and children have fractured relationships or when siblings cannot get along. The church is God's family. One of the characteristics of the church 
is its unity. We believe one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be united in faith, in hope, and in love. We also believe in the communion of saints. We profess that every Sunday in the Apostles' Creed. It should not just be something that we say. It needs to be something we live. We read together this morning from the parable Jesus told about the prodigal son. The younger son sinned in horrible ways against God and his family. As a young man, he asked his father for his share of the property that was coming to him. Even though his father was alive and well, he asked for his portion of the inheritance. An inheritance is normally something parents give to their children, not something children demand. This young man showed great disrespect to his father in asking for his inheritance. He also left his brother behind to work on the farm. He ditched his family to go live a party life, living in deliberate sin against the Lord. Yet in time, having learned some hard life lessons, this young man comes back. He comes back to his family with a humble and repentant heart. He confesses, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now this father had been praying and waiting and longing for the return of his wayward son. He received him back with open arms. He killed the fattened calf and hosted a big party celebrating the return of his son. The father's heart is full of joy and thanksgiving that his son, who was spiritually dead, is alive again, who was lost, has come back safe and sound. The response from the older brother is very different. Since his younger brother left, he has been carrying, carrying responsibility for the farm. He's been hard at work, slaving away from day to day. He thinks it's grossly unfair that his brother, who wasted his inheritance with drunkenness and prostitutes, is given a big party when he gets back. The older brother complains he never had opportunity to have fun with his friends. The older brother feels that despite his faithfulness, the father favors his younger brother. He's jealous and upset. He's unwilling to forgive. He refuses to welcome his brother home. The main point that the parable of the prodigal son makes is about the joy there is in heaven when wayward sinners return. As Jesus said, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. These words were directed at the Pharisees and scribes. They grumbled at the fact that Jesus received tax collectors and sinners and even ate with them. Like the older brother, they had 
a works righteousness perspective on life. That it was by keeping the law, by doing the right thing, that you earned favor with God. They simply did not understand grace. In telling the story about the older brother, Jesus issues a warning. A warning about being overjudgmental. A warning about holding grudges because you feel hard done by. A warning about not being willing to forgive, even when someone is repentant for the sins they've committed. Our Heavenly Father is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He's like the father in the parable, looking out for his lost son, earnestly desiring his return. When he comes back, he graciously forgives him. It's a picture of how we are to wholeheartedly forgive each other when someone is repentant of their sin. You see, beloved, the goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. It is that we may be restored in right relationships again. When we're humble and repentant of our sins against God, He forgives us. He restores us to His favor again. God wipes the slate clean. He no longer holds our offenses against us. It's possible to enjoy fellowship with Him, to live in sweet communion with Him. That's also the goal in our interpersonal relationships. God calls us to forgive each other so we live in restored relationships once more, so we can live together in love and unity. And so the, call, the gospel's call goes out to each one of you this morning. Dear brother, dear sister, is there outstanding sin in your life? Are there sins that you have not confessed to God? Matters that you're ashamed of or feel so guilty about you find it hard to talk to God about them? Are there particular sins that you continually struggle with that you don't dare to come to God with again? God is like the father in the parable of the prodigal son. He earnestly desires you to be in restored fellowship with him. Come to the throne of grace on bowed knee and with a humble heart. Pour out your hearts in humble repentance. God will hear. He will forgive. He delights in receiving those who are too, truly repentant to close fellowship with him again. Dear brother, dear sister, is there outstanding sin in your relationship with a family member or friend or with a brother or sister in Christ? Deal with it. Why do you continue to carry that burden with you? In Luke 17, Jesus taught us to confront sin in our relationships together. He said, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. 
In Matthew 18, Jesus explained the process of mutual discipline in more detail. The process begins with this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. We live in a sinful and broken world because of our selfishness and self-centeredness. We so easily sin against one another. We hurt each other at times deeply. The Bible is very clear about the need to confront sin and to deal with it. Yet it's not only the person who has sinned, who has been sinned against, that has responsibility for this. If you are aware of or even suspicious about the fact that someone has something against you, you need to communicate about this. In Matthew 5, Jesus taught us about how important it is to deal with our brokenness in our interpersonal relationships. Jesus said, So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Do you understand what Jesus is teaching in this passage? He is saying that God is not pleased with our worship of him. If we're unwilling to try fix brokenness in our relationships together. The Apostle John addresses this matter from a slightly different perspective in 1 John 4. Verse 20, he writes, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, who, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. To truly live in close fellowship with God requires us, as much as it depends on us, to live at peace with everyone. Brothers and sisters, the goal of forgiveness is that we strive to live in reconciled relationships with God and our neighbor. That we're willing to speak about the sins that have been committed against each other. And that through a process of repentance and forgiveness, we may be reconciled to each other. There may be consequences from our sin, like a breakdown of trust, which take time to fully heal. Yet we need to be committed to living together in love and unity. Brings us to our second point, the fruit of forgiveness. We've already briefly considered what happens when we try to live with unforgiven sin in our lives. If we've not repented of sins against God, our relationship with him will be negatively impacted. Remember of how David spoke of his bones wasting away, his strength being sapped, of how God's hand was heavy upon him. David was deeply burdened by his sin. It weighed on him. It robbed him of joy and peace. He lost a sense of God's favor. Something similar happens when we walk around carrying a load from sins others have committed against us. We're often deeply hurt. We feel betrayed because someone who was supposed to love me did the opposite. We feel like we've been treated unfairly, like the other has taken advantage of me. We're often angry, bitter, and deeply resentful. 
any thought or remembrance of the person who offended against us, any incidental sighting, and cause a desire for revenge. Does that sound like living in freedom, beloved? If those emotions live in you, are you truly living in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? God created us as relational beings. He made us to live in communion with him and in love and in unity with each other. Resolving interpersonal conflict is hard. Dealing with sins that we've committed against one another often requires a lot of work. We often think it's not worth the effort. We're often scared to confront each other. We think we'll just be wasting our time anyway. Yet, beloved, the Lord calls us to forgive each other as he has forgiven us. And to encourage us, the Bible points to the wonderful fruit of forgiveness. David speaks about it in Psalm 32. He writes about how he acknowledged his sin to the Lord and how the Lord forgave the iniquity of his sin. David writes it with a sense of wonder at God's grace, with a heart full of thanksgiving for it. He goes on in the rest of Psalm 32 to sing of what it means to be restored to covenant fellowship with God. David says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. David was still faced with many troubles and sorrows in his life. But being restored in his relationship with God is huge for him. He can now depend on God to care for him and preserve him. And yet there's more. The main theme that comes through in Psalm 32 is the theme of joy. David speaks about how the Lord surrounds him with shouts of deliverance. He urges all God's people saying, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. We experience something similar when broken interpersonal relationships are restored through repentance and forgiveness. It allows us to let go of our shame, our guilt, our hurts, our anger, our bitterness, and desire for revenge. In Luke 15, Jesus spoke of the great joy there is in heaven when one sinner repents. We may experience that too. It's not fun living in broken relationships, walking in circles around each other, carrying the burdens that result from sin. That's what makes being reconciled together such a joyous occasion. Think back to the parable of the prodigal son. What happened when he returned to his father confessing his sins? His father forgave him, not grudgingly, but with great joy. Many a day the father had concentrated his attention on the end of his laneway, looking out for his son's return. When his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. He received him back with a warm heart 
and a forgiving spirit. We see how repentance and forgiveness leads to great joy. How a broken relationship is restored. That father and son could live together in love and unity once more. Joy is one of the main fruits that results from reconciling broken relationships. Peace is the other. The Bible uses the word shalom when it speaks of peace. Shalom is more than not being at war with one another. Shalom describes living whole or complete lives, living in harmony with God and our neighbor. Love and the greatest blessings we can ever experience in life are living in reconciled relationships with God and with each other. I'm sure most of you have experienced an occasion visiting with family or friends when there was tension in the air. Often it's a result of unresolved issues. Everyone's afraid. They might say the wrong thing. There's a desire to keep the peace. But your Christmas dinner or your family celebration is something you get through, not something you really enjoy. Contrast that with the sweet communion that we sometimes experience with those whom we love. The joy of knowing that we belong and we're loved. The freedom to disagree and have an argument knowing that despite that, you are respected and loved by all who are present. Joy and peace are fruit of the Spirit. They're gifts God gives when we honor Him and live according to His commands. They're the fruit that comes when we're willing to confront sin and deal with it. When we're reconciled to each other through a process of repentance and forgiveness. Pray for God's grace and spirit in your life and in the lives of those around you. Pray for God to work powerfully in our hearts so we can let go of our anger, our resentment, our frustration, and our desire for revenge. Pray for the Spirit's renewing work that we may forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven us. Beloved, the Bible's teaching about the forgiveness of sins is central to the gospel message. The good news of salvation is that Jesus came into this world in order to make payment for our sins, that we might be reconciled to God. He calls us to forgive each other as God has forgiven us. So that in our interpersonal relationships, we might also be reconciled to one another. That in our families and in our churches, we can live together in sweet communion with each other. So we may experience the joy of salvation and the peace of living together in love and unity. Living the gospel of forgiveness is hard. Yet God's rich blessings rest on all who seek to forgive each other as the Lord forgave us. Amen.
Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together from Psalm 51, stanzas 3 and 4. Thank you. 